few more layers to pull back as we continue through this Encountering Jesus in the Day of Atonement, Beyond the Cross to the Mercy Seat with Ray Haynes, our general manager here at Victory 91.5. And we are getting into the topic of the red heifer in this section. It's a big one. A lot of times we talk about this idea of being a second, Jesus being the second Adam. And what does that mean exactly? And the red heifer, wow. When it comes to shadows and types of Christ, the most fascinating sacrifices of all is the red heifer. It's called the para aduma, which means, a para means a young female cow. Aduma means red, like Adam, Adam, aduma. The ashes of a red heifer were, ne- were needed in order to attain purification from exposure to death. Anyone who came in contact with the corpse was considered defiled and unclean. Has had this particular red heifer had to be without blemish or defect, meaning it had to be completely red without a single white or black hair and have no defects. That was the kind of the concept. So the para was the only sacrifice in the Torah or a specific color of the animal was required. Now, I know you're thinking, probably, red. I mean, (laughs) red color was not referring to the color of blood. It was a lot more profound than that. The redness was a shadow and type of Yeshua Jesus being the second Adam. The word Adam, or Adam, means red. (laughs) That's his name. Red. Dirt, and it also means man. (laughs) But so prophetically, the Messiah was to be just as Adam was at creation before sin's stain. He was Aduma. And there were quite a few other symbols that the Messiah would fulfill in the red heifer. It's just fascinating. The para was never to have had a yoke on it, which alludes to being in captivity or in bondage as a slave to a master. Jesus was sinless. That comes from the red heifer. Now, the interesting part, far and wide, though, outside the camp, almost all sacrifices were offered in the outer courtyard of the tabernacle, on the bronze altar, and by a priest. Not the red heifer. It was taken outside the camp and slaughtered there before the priest, that is, by a man who is not a priest. That's unique. Only priests made sacrifices, and they made them at the bronze altar. So, not so with the red heifer, and basically the Day of Atonement offerings. It was burned entirely, even the blood. The red heifer was burned in its entirety, its hide, its flesh, the rest of the blood, and even dung. This standard was completely unique to the red heifer sacrifice. The Jews took this commandment so literally that after the animal was burned, they beat the ashes with rods and stone hammers to crush any fragments that did not turn to ash. One of the many reasons Christ was crushed for the sins of, his, of, of the people, just as the ashes were. He was the red heifer. Hyssop. Scarlet yarn and a cedar stick would be thrown into the burning red heifer. These same items were used to cleanse from leprosy and skin diseases. So a lot of interesting things go on with this red heifer sacrifice. But after the heifer was killed, while still at the altar that was outside the camp, by somebody else that was burning it, the priest had a part to do. (laughs) Finally, he gets a job. He took some of its blood, sprinkled it seven times towards the tabernacle or temple as a purification offering. Everything else is burned except that blood that gets shaken. Only sacrifice of blood in the Torah. Since all the blood was to be burned in the fire, it was assimilated into the ashes, which were then gathered and mixed with living water to create the water of separation. So, red heifer is unique because it purifies from death. And the red heifer is considered a paradox because, here's the interesting part, as if that's not interesting enough, 
The ones who offered the red heifer sacrifice became ritually impure. Both the priest and the man who burned the heifer were unclean because of what they had done. A second man had to collect the ashes and store them away outside the camp. That made him unclean. The ashes were mixed with living water. That's running or bubbling water from a spring. Numbers 19 says, They shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for the water of purification. It is for purifying from sin. Anyone or anything that came into contact with the corpse was required to be purified using the water of separation because it was the embodiment of sin and death. Ezekiel 36 says, Then I shall sprinkle pure waters upon you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will also give you a new heart, and I will place within you a new spirit. Now, interestingly, everybody's made unclean so far, right? But the sprinkling of the ashes from the sacrifice would make any defiled person clean. Strange. 2 Corinthians 5.21 explains it. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Mm. The deepest picture of that verse right there. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross outside the camp saved us from the penalty and corruption of death just as the ashes of the red heifer cleanse people from the contamination of death. The water and blood flowing from the wounds of Jesus are the means by which we are purified from sin and death. Fascinating stuff. Now there's always more, right? Certain instructions were given to Moses concerning the altar of the red heifer. It was to be built outside the city. What does that mean? Outside the city was given as 2,000 cubits from the tabernacle. That's about 3,000 feet or for those sports people, that's 10 football fields end to end. That's a long way. That's a walk right there. This was how far it needed to be away from the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if you ever read the book of Joshua's or coming into the promised land, that's the distance you had to stay away from the Ark whenever Israel marched. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of Jehovah God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, the ark, because you would die again. Same distance was used whenever Israel camped in the wilderness. Tabernacle was in the center with the priests and the Levites. The other tribes surrounded them, but they would never be closer than 2,000 cubits. This is a big camp, right? Mm -hmm. God required them to keep away 3,000 feet in order to maintain the sanctity of the ark and for the preservation of their lives. So that's an interesting uh, reality there. It also brings uh, one other thought in this distance kind of thing while we're talking about it is in Matthew 26, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. They're about to arrest him. And you see something interesting. Mind you, you're talking when you're in the Garden of Gethsemane in terms of the ark, you're 2,000 feet away. While he was speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, not Iscariot, but with the, yeah, actually, this is Iscariot, with a multitude with swords and clubs, came to the chiefs, priests, and elders of the people. They came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Suddenly, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Now, of course, we know that's Peter, because he's having a, mm-hmm. a really bad night. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to the Father my father, and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels. How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? So that seems like a pretty random statement, but 
where he said it and when he said it points to the tabernacle and the Day of Atonement arriving at this fullness of time to connect with Passover because Jesus wasn't standing far from the red heifer altar, which had to be those 2,000 cubits from the Ark of the Covenant. Same distance the 12 tribes kept from the tabernacle when they camped and circled around it to protect it. Well, they were standing in the very place those 12 tribes had camped to stand guard around the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. So he says... I could have 12 legions of angels. It was a throwback to the tabernacle and how they would spend around guard and, and all. It's all. It always tends to go back to the tabernacle. When in general, uh, you know, when in doubt, it's probably talking about the tabernacle. <laughs> all right, we're going to have one last journey, the life that is in the blood, because it's we look for the Day of Atonement. There's no bigger topic than the blood of Jesus. <laughs> 